1: Cast. Thank you for having me, Joe. Hi, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Poznansky, and with me, oh, back from location where she was filming a movie, the ever-delightful Ellen Adair.
2: Ellen, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Joe. Oh, I'm so I'm thrilled. S- I'm
1: so to happy be you're here. back. I'm so happy you're back. I I missed you so much. Not only For the podcast, but for our weekly games that we do, yeah, we missed you.
2: Yeah, I missed you too. I missed you (laughs) forty-four.
1: We 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 determined uh, before the uh, podcast that uh, that she missed us forty-four, and we missed her seventy-eight. So uh, we just we just missed you more. That's all, but that's okay. That's okay. We we still love you just the same. So how are you, Ellen? How, you, I, I don't think we have a whole lot to talk about today, so maybe we should just uh, focus on you and how you're doing.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, there's just not really a lot going on in the baseball world. <laughs> and, you know, there just there really aren't very many games recently that had anything like polarizing about them. Nothing that people really got mad about. So, yeah, so um, I'm, I'm good. Uh, I can't complain. It's still my 2020 response. Yeah, I can. I mean, in some ways I can complain, but it would just be annoying. Um, And that is that like I have returned again to the sort of one bedroom apartment, timeless existence Having been like out in the world, actually working and doing the thing that I love to do more than anything else for once in this year. And at this point, it basically just feels like it was a dream because I have so seamlessly returned to the rest of 2020 that I'm like, <laughs> that cannot be possible that I like well, did, got to go do the thing that I love. Did but, you yeah.
1: think about taking like some of your closest acquaintances to your private island and and just, you know, sort of escaped from twenty twenty that way that would that seems like that's a popular thing to be doing right now.
2: Is it a popular thing to be doing? Yeah, right now? <laughs>
1: yeah. No, I think it is. It is. I, I believe Kim Kardashian uh, did uh. that, and uh, and uh, it became a, a Twitter thing. So it was. Uh, it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. All right, we really do have a lot of baseball to talk, so we should probably get going. Uh, I said before the podcast that so we're going to talk about game six. The, the world series is now over the Dodgers won the world series four to two. And, uh, and there's a lot to talk about in game six, but I, I said that game six felt to me a little bit like, like a horror movie where, you know, you're, there's all sorts of jolts and, and, and weird things that happen and, and moments of fright. And, you know, Kevin cash just comes out from behind a, a, a you know, chainsaws or whatever. And, <laughs> And then you get to the end. and then at the end, what happens is that the slasher actually comes off the screen and starts attacking you personally that that's sort of how the whole thing felt to me, you know, when when you had the the end and then and then it's not the end because it turns out Justin Turner uh, had covid and then he came back out anyway. and yep. their explanation for him coming back out was, well, you know, you can't stop him like you can't stop him. That's that was the that was the official Dodger explanation for why uh, a man with a uh, a deadly disease, uh, a deadly virus uh, potentially uh, came back out on the field in the middle of a, of a celebration with no masks. So let's get that part out of the way since sure. uh, since since that's the less fun part to talk about. So what was what, what was going through your mind as that whole crazy Justin Turner story started to unfold?
2: Yeah, well, so many things. You know, at first I was like, oh, this is Justin Turner proving that he is still in some ways truly a Met because like, he's not going to be able to celebrate with the rest of his team. Oh, wait, right. no, he is, apparently. <laughs> he is actually going to get to celebrate with the rest of his team. And it felt to me sort of like, lest we forget that it's 2020. Do you know what I mean? It sort of felt like a a memento mori in the middle of a baseball game that like, I didn't particularly want to get. Um, But I feel ultimately like the issue is that he has been... In the bubble with his team, basically the whole day, presumably like talking and breathing on people. So the issue is yes, Justin Turner going back out there, but the issue is also like everybody just I know that they're like out there in the plein air and so it is less unsafe than it would be if they were inside, but nevertheless, everybody's just like hugging and you know, definitely not social distancing. When that behavior is more acceptable, it seems like, when we know, oh, but all of these people have been tested for COVID-19 and they're all negative, And so they can sort of behave like pre-2020 people with uh, some kind of very fortunate impunity. However, that is not the case. Yes, one amongst you tested positive. And so, yes. It is unacceptable for Justin Turner to go out there, but also it's sort of unacceptable for everybody to behave like they are negative because they don't know that about themselves anymore.
1: Nobody, nobody does when that situation. And I mean, look, it, it's—I'm sure he was shocked. You know, he—he he is apparently showing no symptoms. I know that you're in the middle of this. Uh, you're suddenly getting pulled out of the game in, in the middle of a game and, and it's weird. And you probably think I'm not, I don't have it. I'm not sick. I don't have, you know, it's probably a false positive or whatever. And, and, you know, I'm I'm sure that you're defiant and you want to be there with your teammates. I get all of that, but it was like, it felt like baseball had sort of figured it out, you know, Mm -hmm. after, after such a, such a disastrous start where they were, you know, obviously with the Marlins and the Cardinals and having to cancel and postpone games and all the other things. And it sort of figured like, hey, finally, we can have a a a series and a night where we don't have to think so much about what's going on in the world. Right. It can be a little bit of an escape. And then it was just a constant reminder. There's no escape. Right. There's no escaping this pandemic. There's no escaping this this disease. There's no escaping the angry politics that somehow seem to be going around it. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's and that's sad. That 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 just made me sad.
2: Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I mean that in some ways there's like it feels like there's there's nothing more American than like but nobody can take this moment from me. Right. You know? And right. I I sort of feel like yeah, that is unfortunate. If you were not able to celebrate with your teammates when you won the World Series, but you still won the World Series, and in some ways, you'll see your
1: teammates. You'll 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 see your teammates
2: again, and like the story that I feel like I would actually want to pass down to my grandchildren was like, yeah, it was such a big moment, but I couldn't be there because I was being conscientious about the health of my teammates and you know, my, my coach who was a cancer survivor (laughs) and yeah. And, and things like that, that, that like, actually that's the story that I would want to tell. Like, yeah, it sucks that I didn't get to be on the field with them, but like there was a reason. And I took a stand about other people's safety.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, look, I, I get it. I mean, there's so much, so much human uh nature going on here these these players all of the players are young and they're incredible athletes and they feel invincible and and I get it I do and I get that hey this is this is not going to stop me uh you know I see people out there already you know defending it like oh he was around them all day anyway what difference could it make like like that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard and but but still you know, you you have like this this feeling that nothing can stop you, nothing can get in your way. You're certainly not going to allow uh, a, a, a virus that you don't even feel uh, to 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 slow you down. I get all of those human things, but I mean, where where is your sort of sense of you know? your sense of responsibility for your team, for your teammates, for your manager, particularly for your coaches. And, you know, and, and do they think any less of you? If you say, Hey, you know what? I, I, I don't, I don't know how I got this, but I do have it. And, uh, I'm going to protect you guys. I mean, this, we're a team and, and if I gave it to you when I didn't know, I mean, there's nothing I could do about that, but now I know, now I know. And, and so anyway, it was depressing for so many reasons, but you know, I mean, the two biggest reasons for me that it was most depressing is one, of course, it was just a constant reminder of the time we're in. I mean, mm-hmm. like we don't have enough of those, you know, I mean, we we feel that every <laughs> single day. There's literally never a day that you don't feel it. Uh, so, so there's that. But secondly, it, it, it sort of, it sort of drained the joy of arguing about the actual game, which was so, compelling and interesting and, and worth fighting over that it sort of feels like, Oh, you know, how, how passionate can I get about yelling at Kevin cash when, uh, when, you know, when, when the you, you got, I mean, who knows where this, this could have led obviously and where we still don't know where this will lead. How many of those Dodgers will have it? Were they going to have to, are they going to have to stay in Dallas for two weeks as they, as they, uh, uh, you know, quarantine, did the, any of the rays get it? what would have happened to the World Series had, had the Rays actually won. I mean, there's all sorts of things that just are not fun to talk about and and they take away from what I think is fun to talk about, which was uh specifically Kevin Cash's decision to pull uh Blake Snell there in the in the sixth inning, which we will get to in a minute. But is there anything left to be said? I mean, I guess we'll find out over the next few days or uh, you know, how far reaching the COVID thing is.
2: Yeah, I mean, the possibility exists, obviously, that it could be a false positive test. Um, so I guess that's the the scenario for all you of hope. us to root for. Right, let's Yeah, hope. Um, since he is asymptomatic. But I think that what is unfortunate about it is that after somehow the NBA and the NHL were able to make the bubble work, it's just sad that there's this little asterisk at the end of the baseball season when I think... You know, I, I have to say, when the baseball season started, I was like, I'm going to drink up all of this delicious <laughs> baseball that I can because I don't think we're getting to the World Series. Right. So I think that, yeah, it's it's just sort of unfortunate given that we were all, I think, maybe not even expecting to get to this point and getting to this point felt like actually such a success for MLB. And then... You know, Rob Manfred had to go out there looking like he frequently does, like a vampire, and and get booed, uh, maybe well, appropriately in that moment. Well, yeah. we could talk about
1: Rob Manfred too. <laughs> First of all, what was happening to the way he talked? I mean, he was he was slurring his words, and I guess this has happened before, right? Where where he was slurring his words, and it had something to do with his sort of inability to speak because because the The voice, because of the way that the microphone is, the voice, there's like a little delay between you hear when you speak and when you hear your own voice. So that that can be very disconcerting. But man, he sounded terrible. And he looked utterly shaken by the booze. That was the other thing. And I, which first of all, I mean, there weren't that many people in the stands, right? I mean, there were only like 11,000 people in the stands. So, uh, you know, so that was one thing. And the second thing is, you're commissioner of baseball, man. I mean, you, you're going to get booed. You know that, right? I mean, you know that even if you were there, there's no such thing other than like Adam silver who, who, you know, even he has taken, you know, some booze here and there when he's run into some, some negativity, but I mean, you're commissioner of baseball, you're commissioner of football, you're, you're, you know, commissioner of, of the NHL for sure. Uh, They're going to boo you. They're going to boo you. You need to be ready for that. You need to sort of plow through the booze and instead He like kind of looked around like, how dare you boo me? Like, this is, this is terrible. This, you guys are mean. And I got to tell you, that is not an effective way to fight off booing. That is the, (laughs) the, 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 this is really impacting me is not going to stop the booing at all.
2: Yeah, if anything, it's gonna encourage even <laughs> even the cardboard cutouts put there to make it look like the stands were more full. It's gonna encourage them to boo. As they were
1: well. booing. They were. Yeah, they, they were. were. I thought. I thought especially some of the celebrity cardboard uh, cutouts were were booing. Anyway, I just it, you know if there were there were so many things that happened at the end of that game. You had the Dodgers, uh, um, you know, owner decided that this was a good opportunity for him to address the nation. I I mean, that, that speech couldn't have lasted longer. Right. I mean, he went on for, for, it was unbelievable. I mean, like I look, I thought when he started talking about healthcare, it was a little much. I just, you know, you, at some point, just, just,
2: no, you got a platform, bro. You got to take it.
1: (laughs) And another thing I want to say about uh, home heating, it was like, where was he going? Just shut up and just <laughs> say, hey, this is great for L.A. I mean, that's it. That's all. Uh, that's all we yeah. wanted from you. All right. So that went on forever. You had the weird commissioner, like he had never heard a boo in his life thing, and then him slurring his words. So that old thing was crazy. Then you had poor... Uh, you know, you had, you had poor, uh, Corey Seager, the MVP who I don't, I think would rather, you know, you know, that, that old, uh, that old chestnut about how people would rather, uh, um, uh, die than speak at a funeral or something. Like there was like that, like that whole thing, like there's like that, that there's nothing frightens people more than public speaking. Right. I, right. I think that totally is Corey Seager. I mean, he hates public speaking. So he has to go out there he you won an award. Hey, congratulations. Now you got to go speak in front of everybody. Yeah, exactly. After the commissioner just got booed. I mean, you know, it's like have, although I thought he handled it well, I did think he yeah. was the winner of the of the post game. Oh, definitely. And, Unquestionably yeah,
2: thought, the MVP of the post game. Definitely. Show.
1: MVP of of the series and the post game, which is a, a sweet double for Corey Seager. Uh, and then you had the whole uh the whole crazy uh, Justin Turner thing that just just kept growing and growing as the as the night went on. It just, I don't know. I mean, I, like I say, I don't know that there's anything left to be said other than what you said, which is now you hope it's a false positive and then we can all just sort of move on uh, rather than this story going on and on as more Dodgers find out they have it and and people start really questioning how the Dodgers handled all of this. and you know, although those are, Those are viable questions, even if he does, if it was a false positive, but but certainly less meaningful if uh, if indeed he does not have COVID. Right.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree. There you go. So now let's
1: talk about baseball, which is what we really want to do. So that's it. We're not going back to any of that.
2: Yay! Um, Unless we feel there's an opportunity for a really good joke. And then we might just like, you know, zing. We could. I
1: guess we could do that, you know. (laughs) I don't know. There's, a, it just doesn't feel well. Look, the commissioner is always worthy of a, a good. We can come back in and just and take a little Rob Manfred dig maybe at some point uh, down the road. I just, you um, know, I, I just,
2: I don't want to pen myself in. Is basically what I'm saying. <laughs> you you can't, you can't pen yourself. You in. You can't stop Ellen Adair. That's what everybody <laughs> always says. That everybody was like, Ellen Adair, you can't talk about COVID anymore. And I was like, I'm gonna, because I'm an American.
1: That's true. <laughs> I've often said that you can't. Hope to stop her. You only can hope to contain her. Um, so, so with with that in mind, look, there's a lot to talk about for the whole series. But I think, I think you know, I just ended up. I've, I've written. I'm writing about this now. I haven't, actually haven't finished it, but I'm writing about this now. I, I think your your centerpiece, probably for the whole series, when you look back on it, is going to be Kevin Cash's decision to. I mean, obviously, Game Four was such a wild game. We can talk about that in a minute, but. Still, I think when when Rays fans look back on this series, when baseball fans look back on this series, I think what is going to last is is going to be Kevin Cash's decision to pull Blake Snell. So so you know very quickly, at the top of the sixth inning, Snell has been otherworldly for the first five innings. Not just dominant, but but about about as as well as anybody can pitch for the first five innings. Not only. Is it one hit and nine strikeouts and no walks, but he just he just owned every minute of the of the game. I mean, he was he was just untouchable. Four pitches, wherever he wanted, swings and misses, left and right. Just couldn't have been better. Then he starts off with the sixth inning and he gets an out, and then he gives up kind of a bloopy single to Austin Barnes. I mean, it was solid enough, but it wasn't like he got crushed or anything. And he had 73 pitches, and it's one nothing, and there's a man on first, and it's the top of the order, and they pull him. And they pull him for Nick Anderson. So there's two things to talk about here. We'll talk about the Nick Anderson element of this thing uh, uh, in a minute. Mm-hmm. But first, let's talk about, because this wasn't just, uh, in my mind, based on the reaction I've seen from countless people, this wasn't just a baseball strategic move that you know you can agree or disagree with. This seemed to strike people in the heart, pulling uh, him at that exact moment. What was your reaction when when they when they pulled uh, Blake Snell?
2: Oh, it made me incredibly sad. Um, but yeah. that's perhaps because I I don't know that's the kind of strange sports fan that I am that like rather than getting angry, which seems like most people's default, I just get really sad. And I think what I was really rooting for was he was so dominant. So I was hoping that he would be able to get through the sixth inning. It sort of seemed like he had deserved that. Because of course, like he has not completed six innings this entire year. However, that feels like many times that I have been watching him, perhaps better deserved. And I was even when I was sort of writing about the series, I was talking about his last start uh, versus the Dodgers, where, of course, he was so, so excellent, you know, no hitting the Dodgers up to a certain point, basically until he was not. Like, this this is a pattern that we have seen with Blake Snell, and that is the thing that In a way, sort of justifies the move. On the other hand, I feel like we all want to believe that. But yes, if you are pitching better than you have since your 2018 Cy Young season, that then yes, like perhaps like let's give the third time through the order a try, because it always seems like what I had written was that it seems like the fifth inning is the uh, Blake Snell inning of Doom, followed then by the sixth inning being the Blake Snell inning of No More Blake Snell. And I just, I didn't want that for him. And it seemed like he was just pitching better than he normally does. Like, he just didn't necessarily have the same control issues that he sometimes does. Every All of his pitches were working together. And, you know, I think that... There's been much discussion about the fact that though Mookie Betts is perhaps the best player in the world, according to one Joe Posnanski, like he hasn't actually been very good against lefties. And in the post-game interview, Mookie was talking about how, like, man, I was glad to see Blake Snell out of there because I just really wasn't seeing stuff off of him today. So it just it feels like he should have stayed in longer if there were any justice in the world.
1: Well, okay, so so let's break this down because there, there are many elements to this decision. The first thing is that Blake Snell is a particularly modern pitcher. Not only does he not have a single complete game in his entire career, he's never pitched uh, in the eighth inning. Well, he's never, he's never pitched through the eighth inning. Hmm. He's never even started in ninth, never even come close. Uh, the longest outings he had were all in 2018 and they were all seven and a third innings. So he has never even gotten to two outs in the eighth inning in his entire career. So you know that the clock is always ticking on on Blake Snell. I mean, look, nobody really completes games anymore. Very few people do. And certainly nobody does in the postseason. But he has particularly uh, been particularly protected from the late innings, he doesn't pitch late innings. So, you know, he's not going to go more than, you know, though maybe they start him in the seventh, but you know that, that generally speaking, uh, he is not going to go much longer no matter what. So, so that is one thing to understand. And the second thing to understand is exactly what you said this year, particularly he is, he is, he never even pitched that long. Like that was, that was about as long as he's pitched. He did have the earlier game in the in the playoffs, in the World Series rather, where he was dominant early and then it, it kind of blew up for him. It was the third time through the order. And, you know, yes, you could make a, a, an argument that, that Mookie Betts has not been looking very good against left-handers, even though that feels like that's more of a 2020 thing. I mean, it's not like it's something that is haunted his career or anything. He's always been very good against lefties until this year, but it is reality that this year he has not hit lefties and he had strikeout twice already in the game and looked very bad in both of those strikeouts. I mean, looked really overmatched in both of those strikeouts. So you put all of those things together and I think you can have an argument from a baseball perspective. My question to you is here's the thing. It's a world series you you would hope that there are millions of fans who are watching baseball, not necessarily for the first time uh, this year, but, but they're paying attention in a way that they haven't all year, mm. right? They're baseball fans. Maybe they paid attention to their local team. Maybe they didn't. But this is the World Series, and there are people that just watch it because it's the World Series. It's prime time on a network. I mean, there's... It's the it's the World Series, okay. That
2: Fox intro music is just the best. It's really it's like my favorite sports intro music of it, of any.
1: It is good intro music. I like it walk
2: is. around the house singing it. I'm going to be honest with you.
1: It 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 doesn't it doesn't move me the way the old uh, this week in baseball music uh, mm. did. That both versions, both the intro version and then the the song they played at the end of this week in baseball but I'm old. So that's why that's true. So, so that's your version as a young person. That's your version of, uh, of this week in baseball's music. Um, so yeah, so people are excited and here's, you know, and I've been writing about this on and off for really pretty all much all year. There is such a wide gap between what you need to do to win and what you need to do to make the game interesting and exciting Mm. and sometimes those things cross sometimes they don't but what's true is that the teams do they never build a strategy around building making the game exciting they build a strategy around winning that's their job I, i would imagine that most people listening or at least a substantial number of people listening would say well that's what they should do that's their that's that's what they get paid for they get paid to win And and so they have to do things to win. And I know people always point this to analytics and we're not going to we're not going to fall in that trap. It's not about specifically analytics It's about doing what you need to do to win, whether that's shifting, whether that's uh, uh, using, you know, nine pitchers, whether that's doing whatever it is, you're going to try to do what it takes to win without real regard for how the fans might like it, how interesting it makes the game, how uh, how exciting uh, it makes it for for the fans. So what I saw in that moment was a huge cross between those two things. As a baseball fan, nothing, well, I, you could argue nothing. Certainly very, very few things are more exciting than watching a pitcher dominate a game like that. Mm-hmm. That is, that's Koufax, that's Gibson, that's Seaver, that's, you know, that's Clemens and, and, and Randy Johnson and all those guys. And here it is in game six of the world series. And you're watching a clinic, just perfection on the mound with a baseball player. Absolute perfection. Jack Morris, who probably threw the most famous game seven in baseball history, uh, said it was as well as he's ever seen anybody pitch in the world series. And I think he's right. I, you know, I don't always agree with Jack, but in this case, I think he's right. I don't think you could pitch better than that. Uh, he he was the way he was moving all of his pitches, complete command, complete control, high fastballs that nobody could catch up to sliders, uh, and changeups going, you know, opposite ways, a curveball that was just devastating. Beautiful. It was, it was beautiful. And then you pull him. I don't know that I want to talk about the strategic element of that. That stinks for baseball. It stinks for baseball fans. You know, I want to see, okay, maybe he will blow the game. Maybe he will. Maybe he would. He would have faced Mookie, and Mookie would have homered, and 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 they would have lost the game because he stayed one batter too long. So, from a strategic standpoint, maybe you can make the argument. Maybe you can't because it it sure looked like he was dominating. But maybe you can make the the argument from a oh my gosh, baseball is a spectator sport that we want to watch and love and 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 get these glorious moments. You know, a few years ago. I think we've actually told you and I've actually talked about this a few, couple of years ago, the Matt Carpenter had a game where he hit three home runs and two doubles. Do you remember this? When he, when he did that, uh, he had three homers and two doubles in the sixth inning and they pulled him from the game because they mm. were up big and they pulled him. And afterward they asked him and they were like, well, the game was out of hand and it, it didn't matter. Well, you know, we'd already won. It's like, you're not going to give him a chance to hit four homers in a game. You're not going to yeah. give the fans a chance to see this incredible moment. I mean, at at the end of the day, you are entertainment, whether you want to believe it or not. If you were doing this for like yourself, like your own like sort of uh, your own sort of like league, like, you know, your little amateur league in your town, that's nobody would care, do whatever you want. But this is entertainment and it is meant to be, enjoyed and loved and we're all looking for those precious moments that we're going to remember forever and then to watch him walk out there like it was just another game and bring in you know we'll talk about Anderson in a minute mm-hmm. and bring in a guy that had not been pitching well at all and uh, in that moment I just it, it did it felt like to me it felt like a little shot to the heart it really did
2: yeah and I, I mean Ultimately, I don't sort of know where to go from that because, as you said, I do think that the team's responsibility is just to win and to figure out the best way to win and not necessarily to entertain us. And what we wish for is just that there were some way because, of course, like the rules to the game are always changing And so the idea that baseball is like a static thing is just hooey. So yeah. yeah. So one wishes that there were ways to like make alterations to the game so that somehow either it was required that you had to make it more entertaining. (laughs) Well, you know, but like I don't, I don't know what those are, and I don't know how to do that. But yeah, it's unfortunate that those two things are sort of at odds because. for example, like I I feel like it's objectively true that small ball is more entertaining than than watching home runs. It's just true. On the right. other hand, when I feel like 100% of national broadcasters are like, "Ugh, you know, stupid oh, yeah. home runs and like why won't they play small ball?" I'm like, "Because they want to win, you idiots." Yeah, right. Do you know what right. I mean? And so all of a sudden, I feel like I'm I'm in my living room, of course, advocating for the thing that is not even the thing as a fan that like I enjoy the most. But but I'm just like yeah, but don't be d- down on homers. Like it's very clear that the team that is able to hit the most homers then had the most postseason success. So right. you can't say actually, even though you can get all of the Dodgers to like do a barrels is overrated montage. <laughs> like you can't. They don't believe that. No, like they don't. All, they don't all of them, it. they're all trying to hit home runs. So, yeah, obviously, like, it's great when when a team can produce runs in, in more ways than one. And I think that that's really what it, um, leads to success, as I think we saw with this year's World Series champion. But, yeah, it's just I – I don't know the answer to it, but I agree that the two things are at odds.
1: Well, they are at odds. And my question is – If the because we're talking about slivers of a percentage point, really, if the percentages of going to a reliever there, let's say you didn't go to Anderson, but you went to a a dominant reliever, a guy that I mean, was was pitching really well, because I mean, Anderson was dominant during the season, but uh, but was pitching well or whatever. If you would say, okay, look, the percentages that we're going to give up a run go down 20 percent. 30%, Thirty percent, something you know, obvious and whatever. All right, look, I I get it. If the percentage goes up 001 percent, goes up just the tiniest sliver. I don't know. I mean, is is your responsibility to like always? Because if because at that low a percentage, you can't even tell that it's a that's a, that one is an advantage over another. You really can't. I mean, you're you're just you're just making a move in order to like, you know, Hey, my numbers say that this is, it's sort of like the difference between somebody having 4.3 war and 4.1 war. I mean, mm-hmm, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's the same season, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so I guess my point is, I don't know. I mean, is it a manager's responsibility to do only the things that, that the, the percentages tell you will make you, tiny, tiny, tiny bit better, or do you need to at some point break away from that a little bit? And I'm not even talking about, um, I'm not even talking about the fans in this case. What do you think the Rays wanted to happen? The Rays wanted him to stay in the game. I can tell you that. There's there's no question in my mind the Rays wanted him to stay in the game. What did the Dodgers want? The Dodgers wanted him out of yeah. the game. Yeah, yep. You know? So, so when you talk about, you know, these things, I mean, we can argue the percentages. I mean, the worst part, you bring it up, the worst part of that thing was how – uh, Joe Buck and John Smoltz just went on for the next hour and a half about what a terrible move it was to the point where I was like, I got to figure out a way to defend this move because he's going to drive me crazy. Um, but I think that, that, that it's, it is right that I wish people around the game and it's, and, and it's not a manager's responsibility in the middle of this, but it is the responsibility of the people who run baseball to bring those two things, the 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 uh, strategies to win and the strategies to make uh the game more entertaining. I mean, what was more fun than watching uh Margot try to steal home? Straight oh, steal God.
2: home. Um it was astonishing. So astonishing, fun. Astonishing, right? So fun. And yes.
1: It was it wasn't probably the right move. And you know, even though he was very close to making it, it probably wasn't the right like like statistically if you go, you know, go percentage, percentage, it probably wasn't, you You probably had a better chance of scoring by letting the guy hit, but it was breathtaking. And isn't that part of the point anyway? I don't know.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, perhaps people felt let down because as as gutsy as it seemed like Kevin Cash was in his managing of his players on the base paths, then it sort of reverted to, Uh, just a kind of strict numbers game. No, this is what we do uh, for his pitchers. And like, I get the point that that is what got them there. And I mean, I think one point is like everybody jumping on Kevin Cash. I'm like, do you? Do you honestly think that it was just Kevin Cash's decision there? Like, no, of course. Like, that was actually just the Rays analytics team that was like, this is what we do. This is what we do with Blake Snell. And I've been on the opposite side of this argument with uh, with like Phillies fans on Twitter when Vince Velasquez will get pulled when he is, like, quote-unquote, cruising. And people will be like, why did they take out Vince Velasquez? And I will be like, because you should look at the, you know, his OPS the third time through the batting order versus the first and second time. And, like, yes, that is true of Blake Snell. And yet, Blake Snell and Vince Velasquez are not comparable pitchers, (laughs) you know? Like, so it feels to me, and... It's I, I don't know. I I sort of I could have this argument purely with the commentators that are sitting inside of my skull. Because right. on the one hand I do feel like I think that it's important that we take into consideration who are these guys today. And I understand that that is not analytically savvy and that the hot hand doesn't exist. Etc. Right. On the other hand, like you can watch Blake Snell and be like, he is locating all four of his pitches right. perfectly. And so there should be some sort of allowance for, like, he's really on today. Like, who knows why this happens, but sometimes pitchers are just like, you know, I can't control my changeup today or whatever it is. And so that's obviously just going to be more of a challenging start. But he, was just like throwing nails, and they were landing in exactly the right place. And so, like, I, f- I just, I feel like there has to be some consideration of what your players are doing right now, and not just what have they historically done. Which, of course, will also get to Nick Anderson, which maybe we'll get to in a second.
1: Yeah, we will. Yeah, we will. And that's no. I think that's.
2: But on the Again. other hand, I'm like, I don't – what I what I really fear from all of this, and of course, like, analytics isn't going anywhere, but no. just no, in the discourse, more people yeah. being like, well, you know, analytics sort of blame and they suck because, like, that's – I mean, that's how both of these teams – got here folks. So like I hate the notion even though I do sort of feel the thing that I just said. I also hate the notion that suddenly this is going to become this decision is going to become the poster child for like why analytics don't work. Well,
1: that that fight has been going on for what since Moneyball came out or more or even earlier. I mean, you know, people people are going to look for reasons. I think I think there's there's another element of this which is the game for for a lot of longtime baseball fans, the game feels like it's drifting away from what they love, hmm. what they grew up loving, and what they love. And you know, I think you know, for me, for you, uh, we're gonna love baseball no matter what. It just doesn't matter. We're gonna love baseball because it's it's we're gonna we're gonna follow whatever they you know wherever they go and 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 et cetera et cetera. But for people who grew up going. Hey, a starter's job is to finish. Okay. Well, baseball doesn't speak to you in that way anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. Starters are not only not going to finish, they're not going to pitch the 7th they They're just not, not a single pitcher. This entire world series pitch reached the seventh inning. So, so, you know, that's not going to happen. All right. So, so that's gone you know, everybody from Bob Costas on down will tell you that ground balls up the middle that used to be a hit for 100 years are not hits anymore because of the way that people are are, are uh, shifting and, and playing their defense. It's gone. that has gone. There was a moment, I, I don't even remember who hit the ball, but there was a, uh, this was after John Smoltz went on some sort of bizarre, really bizarre uh, rant about how he thought that at the end of the day the shift was going to cost a team. Because there are five guys on each team who can beat the shift if they want, which I just I had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. It was just so bizarre. And not sense. long after that, somebody, I think on the Rays, cracked a a hard shot through the hole between second and first, which is a single. Again, for a hundred years has been a single, but wasn't a single anymore because they had a guy playing short right field, and uh, and the and the guy got thrown out and. And Joe Bach kind of was like, hard hit ball oh, you know, you could just feel the disappointment that he had in his <laughs> voice because because that hard hit ball had turned into an out. And I think those guys do speak for a substantial number of baseball fans who don't really recognize the game the way it's being played now. Now, the game's gonna change. That's just that's just the reality and 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 you know, people are gonna blame whatever they want to blame. But the reality is I think hitters are way better than they used to be. I think pitchers would throw way harder than they used to. I think fielders are, are better uh, educated, uh, look at a lot more film and are better athletes than they've ever been. So, you know, you've got to adjust to the, to the way that the game is, is, uh, is, is shifting and gearing and moving. So I, I think all of those things are true, but I do understand that there were a bunch of people that are like, "What is this game I'm watching? I just saw a pitcher look like Kofax for mm-hmm. five innings, and they're taking him out of the game because he gave up one single. What is happening here?" And then the obvious, easy uh, target is analytics, right? That's that's the easy target. Oh, it's the it's the analytics. Yeah. Uh, I think it's much more what you said, which is uh, doing the things that brought you there. Right. That's how they have run it all year. But I think there's a danger to that, a whole separate danger to that. Uh, I don't know that doing what brought you there is is the right answer in a short series, in a short game like that. Um, you know, obviously, you can say the Rays won their other series, but they, you know, they didn't play a team nearly as good as the Dodgers. And I don't know that, that that's I, one thing that I always admired about Joe Torre. Like, I always thought Joe Torre. You know there 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 were things that I liked about him as a manager and didn't like about his manager. But what I liked about him as a manager was he managed the playoffs differently. He just did. He just you know this is he's going to stretch Rivera out for two innings. He's gonna he's gonna be quicker and moving and he's gonna he's gonna go for the win and he's gonna worry about tomorrow tomorrow. He's not going to worry about it today. And I think that some of the things that will work for 162 or in this year, 60, 60. <laughs> right. Might not necessarily work for a seven game series. And again, all of those things are not to say that he made the wrong baseball decision. I don't know. We'll never know. We'll never know what would have happened if he'd kept him in. But what I do know is he made a decision that I think really struck at the heart of a lot of baseball fans. Just hated it. Just hated seeing it. And I don't know. Uh, I think that, I, I don't know that that's Kevin Cash's responsibility, but I think it's baseball's responsibility to to not take away the most exciting parts of the game uh, and not let uh, managers take away the most exciting parts of the game just because uh, they can figure out a way to to maneuver around it. It's the same feeling I have about intentional walks. It's like, I hate the intentional walk for th- for that non-competitive reason. If I come to a ball game to watch Mike Trout and it's the only time all year I'm going to come watch him, and there's men on second and third, and Mike Trout comes up, and you intentionally walk him, you've robbed me. Mm-hmm. You've robbed me of the one thing I was looking for all year was getting to see Mike Trout hit with second runners on second and third. You've taken that away from me because of some, you know, because the because the penalty is not as, as, uh, as severe as it needs to be for an intentional walk. So, you know, I think this is a much longer conversation, but I do think that that him pulling Blake Snell there uh, hit in a way that, uh, that really, really hurt a lot of baseball fans.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I think it is, you know, the scenario that you were describing of baseball fans at home watching it, I think it is not helped by the fact that the broadcasters are oh, no. so <laughs> negative about the new way that the game is being played yeah. as opposed to sort of like... At least trying to be an ambassador for the new way that the, totally that the baseball agree. game is being played. I think that that certainly doesn't help. And, you know, in terms of the game that we all enjoy to see, I think, uh, so one thing is, yes, I think what we have seen actually in the last few years is that the team that wins the World Series does manage their team differently than they did during the regular season. Obviously, the Dodgers did. That's why we got, you know, only ever two innings of Tony Gonsolin and and like a bullpen game, essentially, which, you know, I mean... I think it's more fair to call it a bullpen game than to call it the opener. So I don't feel like, I feel like confusion between the opener and a bullpen game is always something that sort of annoys me. So nevertheless, I don't feel like we can say that the Dodgers weren't using analytics in this game to win it because like, of course they were. But I also think that the Dodgers shifted the way that they use their pitchers and then the Rays were not willing to shift the way that they use their pitchers. And on the one hand, one could say, oh, it's perhaps because the Rays, even in the regular season, were already managing their pitchers more the way that teams have historically done in the postseason. But on the other hand, it seems like what is not been considered in this whole equation is exactly, I think, as you said, in a long series, what does it mean for the Dodgers hitters to have seen these bullpen arms that many times. Like, is there not is there not a tax on now that your starters are never going more than five? They're always seeing the bullpen more often. And so it's almost like the tricksy thing for the Rays to have done in that situation would have been to, like, leave Blake Snell in a little bit longer. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. And I mean, I think, and I think... No, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say, I think that the Dodgers were happy he was taken out. Yeah. I just, you know, I mean, I, I know that's a simplistic thing. I used to make the argument that the best way to determine who the greatest quarterback is, uh, is to, uh, think to yourself who is the guy that you would least want on the other team with two minutes left and they have the ball. That's that to me is like the way. And, and I think one way to look at a decision is what are the Dodgers rooting for in that situation? What did they want to have happen? And, uh, I don't think Mookie Betts wanted to face Blake Snell. I mean, he might've beaten him. He might've beaten him, but I don't think he wanted to face Blake Snell. I think he was perfectly happy to to face Nick Anderson in that situation. And so... um...
0: Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login (laughs) for the good stuff. and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at DirectTV.com. That's DirectTV.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities. That's the NBA. That's game. It's like Game Five of the NBA Finals, where I was lucky enough to be there. Buck Suns in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA.
2: That's game.
1: All right. Let's talk about Nick Anderson because, uh, look, even if you thought Blake Snell should go, even if you thought that was the right decision, which there were some, I've heard from some people that defend the decision, and you can make the argument based on all the things that we talked about, the history of – Blake Snell, he, he wasn't going to go that much longer anyway. It was the third time through the lineup, so on and so on and so on. Going to Nick Anderson is shaky, shaky. Okay, Nick Anderson was incredible this year, uh, in in if you call it a year. That's the other thing is like people keep looking at not you know everybody knows 2020 was a complete wash of a season, and yet people referred to stuff that happened in the season like. Like it, like it mattered. You know what I mean? Right. Like they would say like, Oh, bro, it's clear that Mookie Betts can't hit lefties. It's like he had like 37 bats against lefties this year or something, some ridiculously low number against lefties. It was, it was ridiculous. And he, he has a long history of hitting lefties, but they're like, Oh no, he can't hit lefties anymore. And Nick Anderson, who, who has been a, you know, a good pitcher, he pitched 16 innings. I mean, he had a, he was two and one with an Oh five, five ERA and a six saves. Uh, and dominant.
2: a 7.80 ERA plus.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, 7.80 ERA plus. Welcome at to 1. 2020. <laughs> yeah, and a 1.35 FIP. I mean, it was legit. 26 strikeouts in 16 innings. He was dominant. He was dominant for 16 innings. For 16 okay? innings. I'm sorry, that doesn't that doesn't make you Mariano Rivera. It just doesn't. I'm sorry, but he was the guy they trusted most. He was he was the guy that uh, that uh, you know that they were gonna go to. In, in the key situations. And they did that. In this postseason. And the last four times out. Including uh, including game six. He gave up a run. He he gave up a run. In his last four times out. He did not pitch particularly well. In any of those times. Uh, it, he, he didn't miss bats. Uh, he didn't really do anything. All that well. His, his control was not that great. So you know. I don't know. I mean you start looking at at this uh by the way, I'm sorry, he gave runs up his last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's times that, yeah,
2: not since he faced the Yankees did he have a shutdown first the first Yeah, the first time he, he yeah versus the Yankees. Because
1: the second time he get the Yankees, he also gave up a run. Um, I didn't even realize it was it went back that far. Okay, obviously, yet again, seven Seven outings in a row is not ideal, but it's only 10 innings of, of baseball. Of course, the, his whole season was only 16 innings of right. Baseball. It's
2: like almost a comparable sample size. It's to almost the, to a comparable season.
1: sample size. <laughs> yeah. In fact, if you look at his entire playoffs, uh, he pitched almost exactly the same number of innings. 14.2 thirds innings in the playoffs, 16 innings in the regular season, 0.55 ERA in the in the season, 5.52 ERA in the playoffs a nine four strikeout to walk ratio in fourteen and two thirds innings. Uh the league hit two eighty six against him. It slugged five hundred against him in the playoffs. All right. So again, we know what the we know what the uh the uh the numbers and the analytics tell us, which is, you know, you can't you can't uh, let the hot hand or the reverse hot hand affect you. You have to trust the quality. But is it defensible to brick Nick Anderson into that situation?
2: Absolutely not. I mean, I think that that is the decision that, you know, we can all hurl our little tweets at. Um, (laughs) Because, yeah, like, I feel like in that situation, we really needed to see Diego Castillo, probably. Um, And obviously, there was still a lot of game to go. But if that's the moment when you're like, we need to you know, shut this potential rally down of having a single man on base. uh, Then, yeah, he was just not the not the right choice for that moment.
1: They're loaded with choices, right? I mean, that that's the one thing about that raised bullpen is it's loaded. It's absolutely loaded with a bunch of, you know, giants who throw 150 miles an hour and, and you know, I don't know that you could look at, at there being a whole difference between Diego Castillo and and uh, Pete Fairbanks and and uh, you know all of these guys that that just you know throw. Uh, I mean, obviously they throw they throw differently, and then we I guess a big deal was made out of the different arm angles, but the results are pretty much the same. I just feel like you know here's the thing i struggle with i don't know how much you struggle with this but i struggle with this i would consider myself completely analytical like that the the way i view the game the way i write about the game the way i watch the game the way i think about the game is is sort of a an homage to the analytics guys the bill jameses of the worlds the you know the the tom tangos of the world you can go on and on all of these you know, some of the legends and, and then some of the more recent people. I love what they do. I love mm-hmm. talking to <laughs> analytic guys within teams, right? I know you do. You're very analytical. I I love that. I love the game. That said, there are times when I think to myself, I, I think you've got to blend in something else. I think you have to blend in a little bit of, of, of scouting, a little bit of... um uh, you know, I, I don't want to say gut feeling because that's not exactly right. But, you know, you know these guys personally. You know who they are. You know how they respond in certain situations. You've seen them. You know, I think that has to play in. I think how they've been pitching lately is not irrelevant. It's It just can't be. It's not, it's not you know— a, it's, you only get one shot at this, all right? If you're really going to pull Blake Snell in the sixth inning with the top of the Dodgers lineup coming up and Mookie Betts and Corey Seager about to face you, you can't be wrong. You've got to go ahead and say, okay, I've got to put my absolute 100% best chance out there. And you have a guy that has given up runs the last six times he's come to, to the mound. I, I got to think that plays. I got to think that matters.
2: Yeah. You know? yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I I feel like this is exactly what I was saying. And this is sort of my internal debate is that I do, obviously, like, I love analytics. I love looking at the game that way. But I feel right. like there there has to be a, a middle ground, which I don't think is a 50-50. I think it's like an 80-20, no. you know, where you just... Th- that's sort of like the extra last little thing that you consider like oh has this person been good in the last like two weeks (laughs) you know it just it feels sort of crazy to be like oh but his overall career statistics it indicate this and so it's just as likely that we're gonna that we're gonna roll him out and we're gonna get that like no because a they're people and so they're not just going to execute in exactly the same way that they have for the rest of their career. you know what I mean? if if they're sort of struggling right. with some mechanical issue, they're probably still struggling with that mechanical issue. Like it's not just necessarily a, a chess piece that always does exactly the same thing every time.
1: Well, and I don't I don't and I by the way, I don't think that using analytics correctly, um, eliminates any of these things I really don't I, I you know I think that's one thing is that I think uh, analytics can be for certain uh, kinds of people a crutch just like it can be sort mm-hmm. of the the the, uh, the the enemy you know you can you can use you can use analytics uh, you know as a you know so like what uh, Vince Scully always used to say about you know that statistics were like uh, a light post and, and uh, you know, it, it can be used for illumination or for a drunk person could be used for support. Right. And I, I think that's, I think that's right. I think that's a hundred percent right. So I don't think that analytics pointed you to, to Nick Anderson necessarily. I mean, maybe they did, but I also, I was talking to a person in the game uh, just a couple of weeks ago and he was making a really interesting point that I had not thought about. And he was saying that, and he's a relatively analytical guy. I mean, he's—I mean, his his background is scouting, but he's a relatively analytical guy. And he was saying, you know, here's one way I look at it: if you can't explain your decision process to somebody who is not like a statistical wizard, you know, just a an average baseball fan, if you can't explain your process in a minute or thirty seconds. To the point where they can go, oh, okay, I can see why you did that. Then it's a bad decision. Mm. Then it's probably a bad decision because you're overthinking it and whatever. And I, I you know, he said that and I thought, oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. But then when I saw the Nick Anderson, I'm thinking, how would you explain that to an average baseball fan? That this guy, that you, that he has been, you know, he has been very, he has struggled for weeks, for a couple of weeks now. He has really struggled. He's given up a run literally every single time he's gone out uh, for the last two weeks. How do you explain that to a baseball fan in such a way that that is the right decision? Because what, because the, he was good during the season, because you can't rely on that because you, uh, because you, you saw you, you have faith in his, in his, you know, he, he found something, uh, you know, in a, in a warmup, uh, scenario. I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I, I think That is one interesting way of looking at this, which is I don't know how you defend that decision to somebody who is just a casual baseball fan.
2: I mean, I feel like the thing that would probably be said is that, you know, whole season statistics are more predictive than small samples statistics. <laughs> but not
1: this year, which is which is year.
2: like, yes, on one hand it is true for like what do I expect Nick Anderson to do next year? I expect right. Nick Anderson right. to be good. I don't think Nick Anderson is broken. I think he is still this basically the same guy. But I think that yeah, in terms of like what are you expecting to get from Nick Anderson today, like probably what you've gotten from him for the last six hours outings feels like not an unfair assumption to make. Or if that's what you're gambling on anyway, you know what I mean? If, if that's, if your season is on the line, right. I don't know that that's who I would necessarily want to go to.
1: Well, and, and if your argument is, which I think, you know, at some point it is your, your argument is like, I'm betting on Nick Anderson, the person, right. I'm betting on Nick Anderson, uh, as somebody who bounces back from from struggles, I'm betting on Nick Anderson to rise on the occasion. If you're going to go that way, where you're not even dealing with analytics, you're dealing with the person, then you got a real problem because then it's like, well, why didn't you just stick with uh, why didn't you just stick right. with Blake Snell in the yeah, first place? Yeah. You know, so so you know, so the whole thing just felt really disjointed, and I'm sure that that if they could sit down and and show me all of the details and all of the things that go into the thought process. I mean, this is, this is, you know, they're the smartest organization. These are the two smartest organizations in baseball. So I'm sure if they sat down, I would go, okay, yeah. You know, after you explain that in this, 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 this way. Okay. I, I, maybe I can see why you did that. I can, maybe I can understand, but, they couldn't in 20 seconds explain to me why they made that move and not, not that it would make sense in my mind. So, so I think that's, I think that's a, a question of overthinking it. Okay. So Nick Anderson comes in, he gives up the the big hit to Mookie and then Mookie comes around to score. I didn't get your, uh, your take on this because, uh, because you, you were, uh, you know, on location last week, but I did write something, about how um, how I think that the argument is now open between Mookie Bats and and Mike Trout for best player in baseball, and you know I have chosen the Mookie side of the argument in large part to, because I I just think the argument is fun, mm-hmm. and I mm-hmm. don't I don't see a lot of other people willing to just take the Mookie side, so I'll I will happily take it. I, I think that the argument is close. I think it's fun. Uh, I think it's great that baseball has two players so different who are so great. Mookie is just a, it's just a joy, just a pure joy. The way he scored on the Corey Seager uh, grounder was just wonderful. And so many, he's just so wonderful, but I did not get to ask your opinion. So where do you stand on the Mookie and Mike Trout uh, discussion?
2: Well, I did read your article, um, which I very much enjoyed. And I, (sighs) I, I love Mookie Betts. I mean, how can you not love Mookie Betts? And I also listened to you and Mike debating this, the very important intangibles last week. Although, Oh, yeah, we did. I, I was, think that was the, the – su- you
1: have to listen to that.
2: Yeah, surprised I mean, that like a couple of, uh, you know, I feel like key intangible metrics, i.e., like who would you rather have with you at a boring wedding? Um, or who would you rather have in the car with you if you got a flat tire? I was sort of surprised that you guys didn't get into well, that. But I mean, only because only because those are obvious. Yeah, I mean, we
1: only we didn't go to that because obviously Mookie's the guy you'd rather have at the wedding, and Mike Trout's the guy you'd rather have at the at the at the uh, with the tire breaking down. I mean, that's just those were it, you know. It's I mean, we could have thrown them in, but it just it's just it's sort of like repeating, you know. What's what we know is so good about them. I mean, look, Mike Trout would literally lift the car yeah. with, with one hand and then change the tire. Plus Mookie, everybody would be like, oh my gosh, Mookie's here at the wedding and everybody would just love him and you would be the hero for bringing Mookie to the wedding. You see that Mike is desperately trying to get Mookie Betts to come to his son's birthday party uh, because... Of course you want Mookie Betts there at your wedding. I mean, who wouldn't want Mookie Betts there at your wedding? So that was the reason. It was it was it was really more of a time issue because it kind of felt like everybody knew. Yeah,
2: and I know you, know, you guys who, were on a time was. crunch last week, and right. so I was like that's Always. that's probably that's probably what it was. Yeah. But sure. um sure. Yeah, no, I definitely I enjoy the having of the debate. I do feel like I do feel like it's Mike Trout. And, and mostly because I think that actually this debate uh, has, has occurred in the last few years. You know, I just think it's always a new person. It's always like, oh, is actually maybe Christian Yelich is like the I, best I player. Those, or
1: I never had those arguments. I, n- I, never, I know you I never, didn't, never.
2: but like other people did, you know? Yeah, but or, they're
1: wrong. They were just wrong. I'm sorry. I mean, no offense. No offense <laughs> to them. I'm right and they're wrong. I mean, I don't mean anything by that. But I never felt like we had a legit. Look, Christian Yelich had two amazing years. Uh, so I think you could, you could, you know, throw him in there. But, but is Yelich like the, the problem with Yelich was how do you argue that Yelich is better than trout? Like he's not a better hitter than trout. And then like, he doesn't really do the other things uh better than trout. So I've always felt like there was no real argument there that, that you could sink your teeth into same thing with like when Bryce Harper had his great ear and people threw him out there or, or a couple of others, I never felt like, and I mean this actually in a, in a serious way, I never felt like, there was a player that came along that could match up with Mookie, with, uh, with trout, Um, whether or not you feel like trout's better than Mookie. And there's super strong argument. Trout, trout is, you know, a substantially better hitter, I think than Mookie uh, because of power. And because, because he walks a lot more. So I, I think that you can make a very strong argument that trout is not, is, is better than Mookie. And it's, you know, and you could even say, Hey, it's not that close or whatever, uh, but I think this is the first time we have a framework for an argument in my view.
2: Yeah, no, I see that. And I mean, to be clear, I do love Mookie more than I love what Mike Trout, do? even though I love Mike Trout. <laughs> um, but I think that I, obviously I understand the framework of, of your argument that he's sort of like a, a perhaps a better complete player, better, uh, better on the base paths at this point, And, and, uh, uh, perhaps a better defensive player. But I feel like, you know, the this sort of the argument about being a better base dealer and also an excellent hitter, I feel like could easily apply to somebody like Ronald Acuna, for example, who is also not a bad defender. So, yeah, I feel like the argument has already existed um, not for you because you are a wise person, but for for other people. Um, but I like I I definitely I enjoy I enjoy the arguments. So uh, and I think it's fun. It's I, I just think it's fun. It is. I, I
1: fun. don't. Yeah. Look, I I think I think the future is so exciting, right? I think that when you're going to start arguing who is the best player, is it Acuna? Is it Soto? Is it uh, um, you know Tatis? Is it is it uh, I mean, there's just so many exciting young players out there that are gonna that are gonna you know one way or another are gonna pass Trout and they're gonna pass Mookie at some point, uh, and and some of the kids that are that are still coming up. It's very very cool. I just think that we are at a moment finally where I think you have somebody who matches up with what makes Trout great. Like I don't think the argument like. Freddie Freeman probably will win the MVP mm. in the, in the national league. Right. Uh, you could argue for Mookie, but I think that Freddie Freeman will probably win it. Um, I don't think you can make the Freddie Freeman and Mike Trout argument because it's not apples to apples yeah. in the same way. Right. Freeman's greatness. I look he's a, he's a, he's a particularly good, uh, you know, he's a pretty good first baseman. I think, um, has been really good in the past. Won a gold glove. Um, but defensively he's not helping you. He's on the base paths. He's not helping you. I mean, he's, 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 he's a great hitter. He's a great, great, great hitter. And you know, all right. Are you going to argue who's the better hitter? It's not as fun. I think Trout is the first, I mean, Mookie is the first guy in uh, probably just in, in Mike Trout's career that I think has the matchup to, to where you start going. He does all the things that Trout does. Now, you can argue Trout does some of them better, uh, just like you can argue that Mookie does some of them better, but he does all of five tools. Uh, and and so the argument is, that's what makes the argument fun to me. That's, that's why I love the fact that Mookie's out there. And the fact they're both in LA and, and they're so different, and, mm-hmm. and so many ways makes it to me so much more fun. I want I want this argument forever. I really do.
2: I mean, the thing to be said for Freddie Freeman is that he definitely does lead the league in W O B C plus weighted on base conversationalist. He is yes, excellent yes. at that thing. So you know, it's not just that he's a good hitter, um, but I do. Yeah, but- Think that I
1: gotta say though that you know people who have led in that category in the past have not always been particularly good players. <laughs> that is, like it, Mike, that Sweeney. is Mike Sweeney. Was a good <laughs> Mike Sweeney was a good hitter. Mike Sweeney was a good hitter, but you know he led. He led in uh, W O B C plus. Uh, I think from 2000 to 2003. I think he led each year. Yeah, that sounds that. right. To I me. have to look it up. Yeah, I don't have the numbers think, in front of me either. But yeah, I don't have the numbers right in front of me. But I think he led. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he led from 2000 to 2003, and um, and the mayor, the mayor, uh, what's his name? Uh, he led for for a few years. So you know, I, I, I don't know. That doesn't always translate to quality uh, as as a fielder. As a it's
2: player. true. I'm just I'm just saying it's another part of Freddie Freeman's game. Um, but the the other thing that I was going to say to your other point is that I. I think that this is a wonderful moment for this argument partly because seeing Mookie Betts in the World Series is it makes us imagine what it would be like if we could see oh. Mike Trout in the World Series wouldn't that Can be it so so someday. great because it really was this whole off season, I feel like particularly also the, ch- the championship series and the world series, it was just like a masterclass in all of the different ways that Mookie Betts can beat you, you know, so like he can produce a run essentially yep. you know by like yep. stealing a couple of bases and then, and then getting on s- a ground yeah, yeah exactly yeah. like such an incredible lead off of third that he's gonna make it and he can also make these astonishing catches and you know he can throw somebody out nearly at the plate and then he can also you know hit a homer off of pete fairbanks of which i really feel like is that homer is, in a way, the saving grace, perhaps, of the Rays, in fact. That, like, they weren't going to win a one-run game.
1: You know what? Good good for saying that. That's, by the way, that we've, we've spent... Whatever, an hour plus talking about that one decision. That's not why they lost the game. Yeah, we we just thought about it because it's fun. Yeah, it's fun to talk about. <laughs> it's fun to talk about. But they didn't win the game. They won the game because they scored one run because they can't hit. Because other than Randy Rosarena, uh, that team didn't hit all postseason. I mean, you know, they they you know there were a couple of guys that Margot had that stretch where he hit the ball and Lau Brandon had Lau the, had a couple, a couple of, of games
2: where he was yeah, yeah a key. couple of games,
1: but only a couple. Other than that, he was helpless out there. I mean, so. Uh, so it was Rosa and or 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 bust for that team all all thing. So no they were not going to beat the Dodgers um with one run. They just weren't going to I I don't I don't see how you could really make that argument. That said, as we talked about, it would have been fun to see if uh just how long uh just how long Blake Snell could have helped them, held them scoreless. I that that would have been fun to watch. It's you
2: know? sad to say, but I think I would have preferred I simply would have preferred if they would have left Blake Snell in and then even if he had surrendered a couple of runs, like exactly if the score had been exactly the same, I still would have been like, oh, oh, good. Like, yeah, we saw what was going to happen. It just it sort of feels like Blake Snell's outing was a book that they had just torn out the last 20 pages of the book, and you're yeah, like, I did. That's right. I didn't get to read, and it's the only copy of the book, <laughs> so like, you can't just buy a different copy. You're like, what? They whatever. Gave you, what they, happened?
1: They, they, yeah. They just give you like a, another fake ending, and they're like, No, this is fine. This is the, is this the ending? No, no. We we just threw this together, uh, and it, it'll be fine.
2: It'll be fine. Yeah. Um, I also yeah. feel like the the Mookie Betts Homer there was sort of a saving grace in in other ways, which is that, like, for once, there's not a sort of a cognitive dissonance between how terrified Pete Fairbanks looks and what is happening. <laughs> because, you know, normally, like, even when he's dealing, he just, he looks so terrified. Um, yeah. My my friend and I were trading things that we would want to cast Pete Fairbanks in, <laughs> um and like his initial they're all horror movies it, n- right they're all horror well movies. no actually i'm not sure that very many of them were H- his initial suggestion was that he is the banker in a like period specific gangster film who is convinced oh, sure. by the gangsters to like do some shady stuff and uh i suggested that he be cast as the boyfriend of whichever family member of Liam Neeson's has been uh, (laughs) captured and being held for ransom, but he's sort of useless. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, I think quite obviously he could be cast as the teenager who is terrified that like the teacher just found drug paraphernalia in his locker. I think that that is obvious. Um, My friend also suggested that uh, he is dating Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro is not pleased. (laughs) (laughs) I, I thought that I was like maybe that. the best one. I like yeah. that.
1: Has there ever been? By the way, it was Sean Casey I was referring to as the mayor. Mm-hmm. I couldn't come up with his name on the moment, but he he won. He was W O B C leader for like ten years in a row. Yeah, like the, you couldn't you couldn't get away from Sean Casey. You still can. You still can't. <laughs> if you see Sean Casey, he will he will engage you in a conversation whether you want it or
0: not. <laughs> Has
1: there ever been a wider gap between the look on Pete Fairbanks' face? And the ninety-nine mile an hour fastball that comes out of his hand. Has there ever been a wider disparity between between the pitch and the 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 look before the pitch? Not
2: in nature, not only in baseball, <laughs> but not in anything. There's not there's not a wider disparity between the way that a thing looks and then the way that a thing actually is.
1: I don't know. What about porcupines? You know, porcupines. They look like they're like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, but you don't you 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 get you get too close and 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 it's not good
2: you look at porcupines and you think they're like oh hey how you're doing they've they've got like their 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 fur is spikes no but i'm talking about their face
1: i'm not talking about the spikes i'm talking about their face their face is like hey buddy they're like your pal it's a porcupine look at him he's like hey how you doing but then that's not what he's thinking at all he's not thinking hey how you doing he's thinking you get any closer and i will kill you with about 5000 spikes
2: yeah i i just feel like you're not taking the whole picture into the account there like yes it's face perhaps
1: <laughs> well well the rest of Pete fairbanks he's like 63 he's like a giant i mean he's he's like there there is i mean you you can't he throws 99 miles an hour i mean it's <laughs> there's like it's there's something happening there but that face is just like you look at him and he's just like, hey, did I hurt your feelings? It's like very much, very much like, man, I, I know I said that thing about your girlfriend, but I didn't mean like, don't, don't hate me. Yeah. Don't, don't hate me. I, I, you're, you're cool. We're cool, right? We're cool. And then he throws 99 miles an hour at your head.
2: Yeah. No, Just, that's that's it, fair. It I, I get this sort of like face to whole body juxtaposition that you're creating <laughs> with your porcupine analogy. I, I'm oh, sure looking. you
1: do. Like like it made any sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, of course. All right, let's talk about game four for a minute uh, as, we, as we come down to the uh, finish line here. Uh...
0: Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's Game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall, Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break, alley-oop to Giannis for an iconic slam, seals game five, and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Ready to take a trip? Hear about all the must-see places with Thrillist's new series, Get Out of Town. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card. Go from the East Coast to the West and everywhere in between. Like the best spot to grab a drink on the San Antonio Riverwalk. There's a million reasons to get out of town. The only hard part is choosing where to go first. Listen to Get Out of Town with Thrillist everywhere you get podcasts. Brought to you by the City Advantage Platinum Select Card.
1: You know, all in all, this was an interesting series. Um, But really, Game 4 was... I didn't think it was a particularly compelling series until Game 4. And then Game 4 was just insane insane it and
2: amazing. wonderful
1: in yeah. every way it's just wonderful and i think it would have been wonderful had it not even even without the big finish i think it still would have been wonderful but the big finish made it so so what were where were you and what were you thinking as you as you watched that final play
2: i have a terrible confession to make
1: oh no you i didn't even know where i was going with this oh no
2: yeah yeah Uh, and I, I guess I'm just going to be honest to a fault and you are going to know my secret shame, um, which is that I had been watching, uh, most of the game, but then the time came and it was the only time that Eric and I could record our podcast on Saturday night, um, because I just had a couple of auditions that I had to tape all day on Sunday. So, uh, so... At a certain point, we were like, all right, it's late. This game is not yet over. We're going to be so tired if we don't start recording this podcast right now. We will just leave the game on, on mute. And I, however, was positioned away from the television because I don't think there would have been any way for me to podcast if I were facing the television. Um, Sure. But Eric was facing the television. So when he saw the play he was like, oh, my God, we have to stop and watch this. And so we did. And uh, it was it was Randy Rosarena, like, sort of tumbling and then getting right. back up that had drawn Eric's attention. And so we watched sort of, like, the replays of it, and we watched some of the sort of post-game uh, breathless speeches, which, of course, like, it was worth it to see... Brett Phillips say, you know, baseball is fun, wow, yeah, live, like that was worth it, but I, I feel like I didn't get that whole inning experience, you know, I watched it later, but I watched it like knowing that a magical thing was about to happen, you know what I mean, like I watched it knowing that a unicorn was about to like prance onto the field instead of just being like, oh man, you know, here we go. And so, yeah. I mean, I before before any of that had happened, I had tweeted something about like, you know, this is this is the baseball game that we wanted at long last. Whether or not is the it is the baseball game that we deserve. Um, so that continued to be true, but just sort of you know the excitement of like. Tetsugo struck out and and then, you know, Joey Wendell really smacked the ball, but it was right at Jock Peterson. And then here comes Randy Rosarena. He's, you know, hotter than a New York radiator. And then he walked. And like, here comes Brett Phillips. Like, what's gonna happen? Like, I just didn't, I didn't get to really experience that in real time, which I, which I regret. Um,
1: well... I got to say I I think this was one of those the, the the whole game was so fun and interesting and 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 uh, close, you know, I I I made the mistake before this game of tweeting out that there had not been a close World Series game since game 1 and and by clo- of of last year. Yeah. And and man, I got hammered. And you know, and all I meant was that there had not been a, a one-run game or a game that was tied late. You know, I didn't mean that the games were all terrible. They weren't. Game 7 Uh, The World Series last year was, was, was wonderful. Um, But people, I got hammered. People were like so mad. They're like, hey, the tying run came to the plate in game two. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, it was, this is a close game. That's what I was thinking. And so then Brett Phillips comes up. And of course, Brett Phillips is not ahead of hit in a month. And Kenley Jansen is on the mound and Kenley Jansen is his own, you know, he's like, it's like we're in the seventh season of his soap opera. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, so that's, that's happening. And Rosa Reina is on the, on, you know, on fur on, uh, on first. And so you got that whole thing happening. And then he hits the single and Kiermaier scores. And it feels like, okay, we're probably going extra innings. I mean, it feels like this is, you know, they got the hit. This is great. You've the sort of idea alighted
2: a, over the like m- miracle of Kevin Kiermeyer being the person to homer in that particular regard. Although I know that like he had homered off of Kershaw earlier in the season. Nevertheless, right, like right. that was a that in and of itself was a miraculous moment.
1: Well, it did, it, it, but it felt like okay, this is going to be great. The game is going to keep going on, and it was just a very simple, you know, roller out to out to uh, center field, and uh, but then you remembered. That they didn't have a center fielder out there. They, you know, because uh, they had Chris uh, Taylor instead. <laughs> Chris Taylor out there because uh, Bellinger uh, was hurt uh, before the game. Even though he stayed as a DH, his back was bothering him, so he didn't play. So he didn't he he couldn't play the field. And then the the actual center fielder AJ Pollock uh, was pulled for a pinch hitter. So Chris Taylor is out there, and suddenly you see Chris Taylor botch the ball, and you're like. Wow, that's no good. And then you're thinking, oh, Rosario Oroz- was probably running uh, because because there was a, uh, you know, uh, it was two outs. So he was probably running. So you're like, ah, oh, he might be going to third, you know, so he'll be on third. And then you're like, man, he's taking a long time to get that ball back. He's going to probably score. And so then they, you know, he throws the ball in to Max Muncie, who makes you know, a bad throw home, but still you don't even see a Rosarito on the screen. So you're like, okay, we threw it home plenty of time. This is going to be a rundown. And and then Will Smith just forgets to catch the ball. I mean, he was trying to, to, to turn really quickly to make the tag, but he doesn't catch the ball and the ball rolls away. And you're like, what has happened here? And nothing, suddenly nothing is making sense because – you don't. I didn't know the at first that a Arena had fallen down, and and like yeah. and like every, everything just started slowly coming into focus, and you are like, "Well, that's one of the craziest plays that's ever happened in the history of baseball." Completely, And it, it just felt so ordinary when it started, you know?
2: Yeah. Well, that first the first angle that you see, you actually don't see a Rosarena falling down. You are just right. like, "What is taking him so long?" And also, you see Smith tagging the base with some authority right. as if he has the ball so at first I was right. like I don't even understand like why he's not already out at this point but like it actually I think the throw was not necessarily a bad throw because if you watch what happens is that Smith was slightly offline. When Muncy started to throw and then moved towards the base in order to tag the base, and therefore was offline for the I throw that had think, already happened. I mean, I think
1: it was a short throw, and I think you're you're you've got it. You've got to lead him on the base. You can't throw it on the other side of the of home plate. There, I don't, I don't think anybody in the Dodgers did what they were supposed to do on that play. There was not a single. Defensive player did a single thing right on that play. I mean, Um, agreed, which is crazy because they're an amazing defensive team. Yeah, you know. Yeah,
2: but I, I also, you know, I feel like there's a fair amount of accusations to to Kenley Jansen, and I don't actually feel like he's that much at fault because even if he had. Like, Ben backing up first base. Oh, they, he they, would have been backing yeah. it up on the side where the ball didn't go. Right. So, no, like, he, the, the, the the run was scoring anyway. Yeah.
1: I don't, I don't buy that. I've never bought that. I mean, look, he was out there like in a, in some sort of weird haze. I mean, that was, it is true. Yeah. When you see him like on replay, you're like, where are you going, man? I mean, you do want him to like kind of like, he just left make his body decision. for a
2: second. He was just like, he I did. don't want to be here. I, I, yeah.
1: Well, and, and I cannot blame him I mean, that's a that's a want to get away moment for <laughs> sure I mean, you definitely. know so so <laughs> oh, all right anyway we want to talk about that all right uh, it's time for one last meaningless thing we got to get to the end of this
2: it's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing we talk about sports and we draft things we know like how beaches are terrible places to go no hot fruit for Michael, no Diet Coke for Joe, the podcast whoa, it's one last, whoa. meaningless
1: thing. Uh, I'll let you start. Do you have one for
2: us? I Well, I do, but I feel like maybe you should start.
1: All right, I will start then. My One Last Meaningless Thing is uh, sort of an annual thing. It's it's the Halloween uh, reminder. So this year's Halloween obviously is going to be uh, different. I don't know how people are going to handle it here at the house. We have uh we're we're going to put out candy uh, on the porch. We're not gonna we're not gonna you know obviously we're going to do that that like take one like like that's what they're going to do right yeah kind of thing. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna put it out there on the porch and uh and and sort of social distance Halloween if. If any kids, I don't know if anybody's gonna even come by. I don't know how that's gonna be. But my my daughter, uh older daughter, Elizabeth, has uh she loves Halloween. It's her favorite, not only her favorite holiday, but her favorite day of the year. And so she has like created all of this stuff around our house. Like she built like a cemetery, like a grave. Wow. And she's got like a skeleton coming out of it. And then we've got like a uh a, um a, a net like a uh, for to play like a volleyball net, like a little net. So she's, she brought that net out and she put a spider on it with a big spider web. And we've got like crime scene tape all over our front yard. So it's, she's very pleased with, with the, with the, uh, with the Halloween setup that we've got this year, which is great, which is great. It's anything that makes you happy in, in these uh, moments. But what I was going to say is uh, it is going to be a very different, uh, Uh, Halloween, but I, I just want to make the reminder that, uh, Reese's peanut butter cups are the best (gasps) Halloween candy. Yes. Uh, yeah, they're delightful. Just could not be more delightful. Uh, you're good with your Kit Kats. You're good with your Snickers. Uh, you're starting to get a little, a little shaky when you start going for, uh, your three Musketeers, that kind of thing. Um, but as always, Uh, if you give to anybody a bit of honey, uh, you are evil. And so I just, if, if bit of honey is what you have in your house to give out, um, just don't, you don't want to be that person. You just don't want to be that person. So I I know it's tough to go to the store these days uh, and, and they're not going to take back the bit of honey. Uh, Sorry. Uh, Even if my dad took it back, they're not taking it back They They, they realize you were a sucker for buying it in the first place. So, so, but don't be that person. Just don't be the bit of honey person. That's it. That's that's my one last meaningless thing. Yeah,
2: I mean, maybe don't be the like like role of smarties person either.
1: Yeah, no, and like, there's obvious like you don't want the role of smarties. Uh, you don't want to be the the person who gives the uh, the um what are those little junky. Candies like the uh like Rolos or you know, Oh Rolos get, are I'm
2: great. Just, no, the, it's the little the,
1: No, they're great, the but you don't paramount. wanna give out like people don't give out a full roll of Rolos. They'll give out like one wrapped Rolo. Or Hershey's Kiss. Look,
2: Hershey's kisses are delightful. One Hershey's, one Hershey's kiss, kiss is, is not is not acceptable for Halloween. Absolutely. It's not acceptable. Yes. yes I
1: mean yes. look, if you're gonna throw a little bag together, throw Hershey's Kiss on top, that's fine. That's fine. But you can't you can't get away with like Hey, I just threw a couple of Hershey's Kisses in the bag. No. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't be that person. That's all I'm saying. Yeah.
2: And I also, I want to uplift Elizabeth for decorating for Halloween because, like, I just love it when people really go all out for Halloween because it's one day. One day. And – Versus the people who sort of go all out for Christmas, like it's a whole season, I guess oh, yeah. it's like I mean two months you know it's it's like yeah. so long so it's sort of like, well yeah, but that stuff's gonna be up forever but like people who really <sighs> commit for Halloween just respect to them is how I feel so
1: well, yeah please thank I mean, look, Elizabeth I'm ready, for me I'm ready for this stuff to come down she might she might insist it stays up I mean she you know especially like the uh the uh, crime scene tape. She just admitted that maybe that'll (laughs) discourage people from coming to the house. I guess
2: we look like, we look like social distancing
1: for sure. Yeah, (laughs) no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. What's your one last meaningless thing?
2: Well, I sort of have a tiered one last meaningless thing. And I mean, the main thing is really that I did miss you. 44. And uh, and I have some evidence of this. And one that you've even reminded me about that I forgot about was that one night coming back from shooting. I mean, one morning coming back from overnight shooting is the more accurate thing to say. It was like almost 5 o'clock in the morning. And wow. we had to drive a long way from uh, to get back to our motel from where we had been shooting that day. And so we were all sort of flagging and so I proposed that we do a chocolate candy draft podcast oh, style delightful and um, obviously because I proposed it I did not get the f- first overall pick even though I knew that Reese's peanut butter cups would go first overall uh, no other choice. and I did no choice. lobby to say Can I take, like, the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup with the Reese's Pieces inside as a different one? Can I take the, like... But, yeah, everybody justly so was like, no, you can't. No, no.
1: You don't even need to bring in uh, uh, Roger Goodell on that one. I mean, that's clear. That's clear cut. Yeah,
2: and everybody... Uh, so everybody's draft besides the person who got the first overall pick was like not, not nearly as good for that obvious reason. Um, And I got, uh, I got roundly mocked for taking mounds in the fourth round. Um, which is maybe fair, but I love mounds. And so I stand by the potential that I see. But
1: there are no nuts in mounds. I
2: I know, but that's actually what I like about it. It's just the coconut (laughs) and the chocolate. That's all that I want. So the other thing that I was going to say was that on, I believe it was like the second day of filming, we got to talking about the oddity of people whose name is Robert or Richard choosing to be called Bob or Dick, when like there are yeah. other options, you know what I mean? Like you don't even have to go by the full name. There are other nicknames that you could choose instead. And yet you chose Bob. I get that Bob isn't quite as odd as like choosing to call yourself Dick, but still like Rob is a choice for you, you know? Sure. Even Bobby feels better to me than Bob. Than, than Bob, the Bob um, yeah. I mean, I don't know any Bobs personally, so like maybe I'm partly just thinking about Bob Nightingale Anyway, moving on from that, um, this (laughs) brought up for me the name of the year uh, bracket. And so I uh, delighted at least like the other lead in the movie. And I hope some also of the crew by reading off all of the names on the name of the year bracket. So delightful. And it brought us like so much joy. Actually, I felt like Dr. Welcome Blender. Um, yep. Was was sort of like low key one of my favorites. Um, my the other my friend the other lead his favorite was Learjet de la Cruz. Um, sure, but I decided that actually my favorite was Stetson President. Um, and it was because I remembered the jokes about Stetson President, Stetson President, or President Stetson <laughs> <laughs> President, <laughs> parentheses, Stetson, on the podcast. And I decided that, like, really nothing is as funny to me as comedic redundancy. Um, So, so, so delightful. So much, so much that you've brought up there. Yeah. Including the fact, who
1: is the first person named Richard who decided that you could shorten that to dick? Like, like, I, I mean, there's no comparison. Yeah. There's nothing. It's a different starting letter. It's a different consonant sound. It's like it's not Rickard. Like, even if then you're like, all right, you're just changing the D, but no, it's not. It's it should be ditch. Like ditch would be like like that would at least make a little more sense. You'd be like, why the D? Like, ah, eh, don't worry about it. We're just going with a D. But no, literally. And Bob is a little bit the same way. Why? Yeah, is the R like lead letter not good enough for you that you're like, no, it, you know, R's are just not. It's Bob. Bob. I'm I'm a B. Like, makes no sense whatsoever. It's 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 stupid. It's yeah. I, I just wanted to I say I feel
2: that. like at least r- Bob has two letters in common whereas Dick it's really only the i. It's, that's it's, it. You could as easily call the person like fish. Like that has as many no, things right. in common. No,
1: that's No, I mean it's like saying to somebody like uh, oh what's your name? I'm Anthony. Uh, but you can call me blue right.
2: Like well, like like why? Yeah, yeah, why
1: is your no, no, it's just short. It's not a nickname. It's it's short for Anthony is blue now. yeah. the
2: thing so yeah,
1: I, I don't know the thing
2: that I did bring up is that people, I mean, this is old. and and the 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 textual evidence that I have for this is that there is a line in Shakespeare. I think it's in one of the Henry Six plays, um where, uh, the the line is something like, and where's that crookback prodigy Dickie, your boy? So, like, at least as old as Shakespeare's day, people were calling Richard Dick for some reason. But, like, still, there was somebody so. who first decided that it was okay and that person was wrong.
1: I think Shakespeare was drunk at the time. He'd forgotten the name of the person that he was writing about at the time. And he's like, oh, they was Dickie something like that. and That's it. I, I, there is no possible connection that you can make that makes any sense at all. Yeah. And the fact that it is a choice and the fact that obviously Dick means something else as well uh, really does put into question why you'd go that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, but I also think maybe you have a lot of confidence in yourself. You know, I mean, like, like, like some people can wear pink and not wear, like, I don't care. I'll wear pink. I don't have any problem with that. That's fine. I, I look stupid in it, but I'll, I'll wear pink. I don't care. So like, maybe it's the same thing. Somebody's like, you know what? I carry enough confidence in myself that even though my name is Richard and you could call me Rich or. Uh, or Rick. Shard. Or, or, Rick <laughs> or, <Chard>. or something, Shard. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. No, I'm going to go with Dick because I, I feel like I can carry that and I can pull that off. So I respect that. I respect that. All right, well, we did enough damage for one day. Uh, Ellen, this was wonderful. So glad to have you back. We'll have you back on soon. Thank you
2: so much. Thank you so much. It is always the best part of my week.
0: Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live, another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login (laughs) for the good stuff. There's no annual contract. Yes, no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package.